Glory to God, glory to God. I'm Pastor Michael. Derek, thank you for that. Garrick, I mean Garrick, sorry. Thank you for that great expression of worship today. That's, that's really what it's all about, the Father's great love. I've been just dwelling in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on him. And it's often translated, because of the Lord's great mercy, I am, we are not consumed. His compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. Thanks, you guys, very, very, very much. Um, yeah, Pastor Michael, good to see you all today in this, uh, what is it, second week of Advent today. And I know we have some guests today. Welcome as well. Today, uh, let's see, next week, I'm going to start a, an actual Christmas series four weeks, uh, even though, uh, I can't remember the girl's name, who t- was it Tara that talked about the wise men? Tayan. Tayan talked about the wise men. She wasn't excited about the wise men, right? But I'm excited about the wise men because they said, we have seen his great star in the east and have come to worship him. So come to worship him is going to be this Christmas series. So next week, we'll talk about um, come with hands lifted high. The next week, come with your gifts. The week after that, come with your heart. And then that final week, come with your knees bowed down. So that's where we'll spend our time as we go into it. So talking, well, I said week after, week after. That's not true. Let's say we, next week is the 17th. Then on the 24th, we're going to do one teaching in the morning, then another teaching at 5 for our, our evening uh, Christmas Eve service, and then the next one on the 31st on, on New Year's Eve. So looking forward to that together with you and wishing you all the best of a great Christmas, a Christmas of worship. Come, let us worship him. Come and worship him. Yeah. So um, Hebrews uh, 4.11, make every effort, make every effort to enter into God's rest. Make every effort to enter into God's rest. Strive, contend, fight, I just see great irony in that statement, striving toward resting. I want you to see it, fighting for rest, striving for rest. Take a good look at this, because if you're going to wear yourself out for anything, make sure you put your effort there. Don't let it go. Keep believing. The idea is very simple. Do everything in your power to make sure you do not miss out on God's rest. It's about trusting Him every step of of life's journey because you can be sure that all along the way there will be things to cause you doubt, things to cause you fear, things to knock your eyes off, off the focus, the proper focus of who God is, attempts to rob you of rest. Everything in society is going to speak to what you should be doing, what you're not doing. God wants you to enter into his rest. Keep trusting, keep b- believing. I, I have a hunch most of us here have heard of uh, Larry Bird, uh, basketball great, Boston Celtics. Well, uh, one day, Coach Casey Jones was... Uh, diagramming out a play on the sidelines only to have Bird dismiss it saying just get the ball to me and then get out of the way 
Yeah, well, the coach shot back. I'm the coach. I'll, I'll call the plays. And he said, just get the ball to Bird, then get out of the way. Okay? <laughs> I think that's a great illustration for the, for the Christian life. A great picture of it. Get the ball to Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Don't let your fear, don't let your doubt get in the way. Let all your security, let all your desire, let all your focus, let all your ambition be there. Get the ball to Jesus. Keep the ball in Jesus' hands. Strive toward rest. It's an irony. Play with it. Think about it. Fight for it. Contend for it. That's what it's about. So now... We come to chapter 4, verse 12, and, and, and you have to have that premise. In your striving toward rest, you can expect God will do some surgery in your life. Have you ever had a surgery? Have you ever known someone who has had a surgery? I think there are two things that are, that are necessary for a successful procedure. Uh, one is a good knife, and the other is a good doctor. And we find both of those right here in the Scripture. Verses 12 and 13, a good knife. Then starting in verse 14 to 16, a good doctor. That's what we want to look at this morning. I, I remember the first time I had to go to a surgeon... I'm thinking I was maybe 11 years old. My little sister and I, we were having our own little boxing match in, in the living room. We were just getting carried away, laughing hysterically as we threw these air punches at each other. And if there's one thing I've learned as a parent, it's, it's that when kids are having that much fun and laughing that hysterically, you can be sure it will be just a matter of minutes before someone is screaming out tears of, tears of anguish. Yeah, you know, you just want to say, settle down, somebody's going to get hurt, right? Yeah, well, sure enough, I took a step back on the carpet, planted my foot flat on a randomly placed upright toothpick. Yeah, it drove deep into my flesh, and then the, the, the part of it broke off way, way deep in, in my foot. Now, I, I don't know which was more humiliating, because from all appearances, I'd just been beat by my little sister, but on the other side of that, now I would have to go to the doctor because I had a toothpick in my foot. I didn't like that. My older brother, six years older, just wouldn't let that one go. Right? Yeah, you can, can imagine. And I, I remember the comforting words of my mom and dad. You know, my, my mom to my dad, Ralph, when are you going to learn not to leave your toothpicks all over the place? Right? And, and uh, my, my dad to my mom, when are you kids going to learn not to walk around the house with, with your shoes off. <laughs> and, and since all the blame wasn't doing any good with this toothpick, sure enough, we would eventually find ourselves at the surgeon's office. And uh, in his examin examination room, he was doing everything he could to try to get to that thing. He, he was cutting deep into my flesh, and, and his, his every effort was, was for my good. I didn't appreciate some of his commentary along the way. I never appreciate commentary. You know, I've been brave enough to undergo several procedures without anesthesia, and I don't appreciate the commentary. Let's just keep our mouth shut, and let's do, let's do the, the work here, right? And I, he said something in order of, all I see in here is a bunch of fat. Well, thanks a lot, Doc. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, my brother's always reminding me I'm fat and all this stuff. Well, sadly, that day, he didn't find the toothpick. 
So the next thing would be full-blown surgery. They got to they get serious here. But on the positive side, he said to my mom, okay, we've got to schedule this thing. You've got a couple of days. So here's what I want you to do. The next three days, I want you to soak that foot in the hottest salt water he can stand and do that three times a day. And then on the third day, I want you to squeeze that foot as hard as you can. Oh, my goodness. Exactly what my mom did. She, she, you know, third day, we, we were faithful to soak that foot. On the third day, she had me lay on the couch. She grabbed a hold of that foot. Now, I'm screaming, and she's squeezing, and all of a sudden, she let out a scream. And then she started laughing, and she said, I can't believe it. That thing shot right out of your foot. Oh, man, it worked, it worked, it worked. Yeah, thank you, doctor. But what was that doctor doing? He was using a knife to cut into my foot in order to expose the problem. The surgeon has to be able to see the problem in order to deal with the problem. The problem has to be exposed. And it's that way in any kind of troubleshooting. You've all experienced the frustration. Come on, the gauge on the car says something's wrong. But every time you take the mechanic, everything's right. Can't figure it out if it's not broken. It just doesn't work. You've got to see the problem. So here we are in verse 12, in striving to enter God's rest. Now watch what happens next. We strive to enter God's rest, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So do you see it? It's a, it's a good knife. The good knife is the word of God. Like my foot in the hand of the surgeon, the problem has to be exposed, and that way the problem can be dealt with. That's a really good thing. It's, it's a really, really good thing. It's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit causing the Word of God to literally become a light in our lives to help us see what's going on. It's an expression of God's great kindness, exposing the problem, helping us to see the problem, which leads to, 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 uh, to, to conviction, leads to uh, repentance, which leads to forgiveness, the, the eradication of the problem, which leads to liberty. My mom's little scream, ah, I can't believe it. The thing popped right out of there. Problem solved right there. That's what we're talking about. Well, so it's interesting because Bible scholars love to get caught up in all the words that are used in passages like this, and we can see several interesting words piercing to the vision of soul, one, and spirit, Two, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Three, and, and so we hear this interesting terminology, body, soul, spirit. What's the difference here? But honestly, I think that distracts us from the point. The point is really simple. And going back to our illustration, before x-ray technology, the only way a surgeon was able to see what was going on was to cut, was to cut. And that's the way God's, God's word works. If we'll let him, he will take his knife 
properly apply it, and do some cutting to let the light shine into the core of who we are so that we all can see what's going on in order that it might be properly dealt with. If you're going to enter into God's rest, and you need to enter into God's rest, you must strive to enter God's rest, then it's going to require that you trust Him enough to be willing to go under His knife. Yeah, so let's talk about a couple of these words here. The first word is the word naked here, that we're naked. It's, it's the word gumnos. It's literally saying that we may think we're making impressions, that we may think we're wearing disguises, and in doing so, we're getting away with something. But in God's presence, all of that must be stripped away. Things must be exposed. They will be exposed eventually. So will we allow them to be exposed when God is offering us his grace and kindness? Or will we wait until the judgment day? The, the, in verse 13, the word exposed is a very complicated word. Tetrakelismanos. Try to say that. It was a word used literally for flaying an animal. Then, then you have the word sword that's used here, mishara, sounds kind of like machete, that it could describe a, a, a short double-edged dagger, the kind of knife, exactly the kind of knife that you could imagine flaying an animal with. So the picture then becomes one of, 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 of hanging up an animal in order to cut away all, all of that that covers up what's going on beyond what the eye can see. It must be cut away in order that it may be seen, in order that it may be dealt with. We may fool men for a time and fool ourselves for a time, but we're not fooling God. Now, another, another interesting word use, and it's always fun to look at word usages in the Bible. Another one would be a picture of a criminal that would be being led to his execution. And a short dagger would be strapped to his chest in such a way that the point was sticking into his chin so that he couldn't look down in order to hide his face in the presence of his accusers. That, that he, he must face his dishonor. This is what we're talking about. Full exposure, full Disclosure. We may think that we're, we're able to avoid the gaze of people. There is no avoiding the gaze of God. He sees the truth. He sees what's going on. He knows your struggles. He knows your hurts. And friends, that is a really good thing because when we allow what we really are to come into the light and we embrace the light and allow ourselves to be exposed, it's finally at that point that God can really start doing his work in our lives. We've got to be willing to go under his knife. Got to be willing to go under the light. Got to be willing to let everything else be stripped away. It's God's great kindness. Now, another important thing that I need to emphasize here is um, the three different ways that the word word is being used here. Two of them have to do with the word lagos. Okay, the first is this. Lagos is the completed word. It's a picture of the written word that we see in, in scriptures. See, the Bible tells us everything we need to know from God's creation to man's rebellion to reconciliation 
to ultimate restoration. It's the full picture. It's the written word of God, the complete word of God. But the second word, logos, describes a person. Jesus is logos. He's the personification of the word. Jesus not only knows the word, Jesus is the word. But there's a third word, and it's the word rhema, and that's when God properly applies logos to an area of your life. It's a timely word, fitly spoken. It's the right tool for the right job. Okay, now, now get this. We have logos, right, which is the completed word, right? It's like, it's like a uh, table of surgical tools. There you have it. Then you have the doctor, Lagos, who has all those tools at his disposal, but they're no good if they're just sitting there. So the good doctor, Lagos, takes the right tool, Lagos, in order to execute the proper procedure in your life, and that's Rhema right there. A good surgery requires a good knife. Yeah. But now we have to see the good doctor here, the great high priest. Look at verse 14. Since we have a great high priest, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Approach the great high priest, the good doctor, with full confidence, right? With full confidence. So I'm thinking about this, and uh, I'm thinking about the, the Wizard of Oz. I think we're all familiar with the Wizard of Oz, okay? Uh, the Wizard of Oz, in a very real way, represents the God that most religious people believe in. So here come Dorothy and her gang. They approach the throne, Oz's throne in the Emerald City, which is a a kind of heaven going on here. And as they approach him, he already knew who they were and he already knew what their problem was. He had that kind of wisdom. So we're thinking about the God of most religious people. The scarecrow needed a brain. The tin man needed a heart. The lion needed courage. Dorothy had a deep longing for relationship, a desire to go home. But the wizard, was, was intimidating, unapproachable. I am Oz, the great and powerful. Who are you? And it was a redundant question. He didn't want an answer. Dorothy's reply comes back exactly the opposite. If you please, I am Dorothy the small and meek, the great and powerful, the small and meek. And, and then you have to think about this false religious system because behind the curtain, right, is this little man playing a game who's executing power over everybody, but doesn't matter. He comes back thundering, silence, the great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. Yeah, you can get the picture right there. 
And it's important to me because it reminds me of how, as a kid, I would have to go to confession. It was part of our religious system. And we had this sanctuary that was all concrete. It echoed. It was, it was dark during the confessional time, I guess, in order to save energy a little bit. In our church, you know, the altar's always in the front. You always had to look forward whenever you're in the sanctuary. But the confessional booths were all in the back. So that meant you had to stand in a line with people who might know you. A, a line, you're probably all asking, I wonder why he's here. What did he do? You know, kind of thing. Because I sure wondered what they were doing. Yeah. A line that would move backwards toward the door. And it was your turn. You would go into the door. You would kneel down before a curtain that would cover up the face. Of, uh, that had a curtain that would hide the priest. He was hidden back there, okay? Our priest was Monsignor Adority, big guy, intimidating guy, not just a priest. He was a, he was a Monsignor. And so one time when I was about 14 years old, I, I began to, to do the whole sacrament, sacrament of confession. I was saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been this long since my last confession. Uh, these are my sins. And for whatever reason, that day, I decided I'd get really honest. I mean, I, I, I really laid it all out there. It's amazing what a 14-year-old boy is, is capable of. <laughs> and, and I wasn't hiding any of it. And I'll never forget what happened. That priest, that monsignor, pulled back the curtain, looked me right in the eyes, and he said, let's talk about this. Talk about intimidating. Oh, my goodness. They didn't teach me this in my catechism classes, right? Where, where are the HEPA rules, right? Where's, where's my right to privacy here? You know, what is going on? Intimidation. But, but that's the image most religious people have of God. I am Oz, the great and powerful. Who dares come into my presence? And I share all this because now you go back to verse 14 and you see who God really is. He's the great high priest. The great high priest. Hear that. He is the great high priest, which means he's greater than something or someone. Because if you understand history, if you think about Aaron, the high priest, he could only make temporary atonement for sin. And that would have to happen year after year after year. Jesus came to make permanent atonement for our sins and therefore jesus is greater than the high priest jesus is greater than any priest who has ever lived but then you get this and i love 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 the songs we sang today because what did he do he humbled himself and he stepped off the throne even allowing his head the king's head to be lower than our heads he was willing to do that, to step off his great position for our sakes. Not only that, you go to verse 15, notice he has sympathy. He understands your weaknesses and your failings, and it's precisely for that reason that he came, out of his great love. And then you think about the testimony we heard today. Out of his great love, he steps off the throne with sympathy. And notice verse 16. 
He doesn't intimidate, but what does he do? He invites us to come freely. He invites us to come boldly in order that we might receive exactly what it is that we need from him. So can I just tell you right now that I am glad that we no longer have to be afraid, that we don't have to be intimidated in God's presence, and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Can I just tell you that? Man, you guys, can I just tell you there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? That's still too weak. Can I tell you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, get the oxygen tanks. You guys are not breathing today. Can I tell you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, I'm having to work too hard today. No intimidation. No fear. Come with confidence. I've got to tell you, men can intimidate. Priests can intimidate. Preachers can intimidate. Religious systems can intimidate. Authorities can intimidate. Believers can intimidate. When we act like we know it all, when we act like we have all the answers, we act like we're the righteous standard that everyone needs to measure up to, we become unapproachable. Jesus stepped off the throne, and it's time we step off our high horses as if we've done something to claim our position and we become approachable because he is instruments of God's great kindness. The living God, the great high priest, the great doctor says, there is no need to be afraid. Come, come freely, come boldly. I have good things to offer you. This is the great doctor with the great knife who can do the great job in your life. So, so come. What do we do with this? Well, the first thing we need to do is submit to the doctor's healing touch. Come with confidence. Don't be afraid. He will only cut in order to expose the problem to, in order that it might be dealt with. It may hurt for a time, but we need to trust him enough to go under his knife. Yeah, that's right. Second thing, draw near to him. Hear his words. Come, if you're thirsty, come and drink freely from the spring of living water. If you're tired, come to him and find your rest. If you're in need of forgiveness, of pardon. If you're need, in need of becoming an instrument of forgiveness, this is his specialty. If you're avoiding him, if you're afraid of being exposed and you're trying to stay away from the light, hear what he's saying. He's saying, come. Trust me, I want to restore you to sonship. I want to restore you to blessing. The Lord is saying, come, come, contend for rest. Come, I will give it to you. Let me do the work that's necessary in your life. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come because I think this next song expresses beautifully what it is that we all need to let the Lord do in our lives today.